Hi, Chris. Look at you. I have to tell you, Chris, this is one of my most favorite interviews we're doing. I've been so excited for this. And also, could you come to Vancouver, please? Because I need yes. someone to put my kid to bed. <laughs> Seriously. Hello, and welcome to Table for Five with No Reservations. Take a seat at the table for a fresh, sweet, salty tart and pleasantly bitter conversation. Hello, everyone. We want to thank you for taking a seat at the table. Um, for me, tonight is extra special because Chris Lindsay's here. For our longtime listeners, this is a familiar name. And for the ladies, we know her as the Sealy Whisperer. Seated with me tonight, I have Kimmy. Hello. Jen Dunn. Hey, everyone. Yes. Hello. Jamie. Hey. And Chris. Hi, everybody. And I'm Rachel Flanagan. Chris, normally we have guests introduce themselves. There's, you know, a lot of times people are like promoting a book or trying to grow a page. And while you have this beautiful page that you're growing, I know that you're not going to toot your horn. So I orchestrated a little bit of a game that the ladies don't know the rules to because this is the table for five. <laughs> Nothing new. Nothing new. <laughs> That's how we Nothing roll new. around here. So this is the game. Jamie Ramos. I just wanted to know if you know who won the foster parent of the year at one point. Chris Lindsay. <laughs> oh my God, that's true. Okay, Tabs, this is for you. Who has the most kids, the best tricks, and the biggest heart of anyone you've ever heard of? Chris, for sure. Yeah. Of course. I think that's true. Okay, Kimmy McIsaac, <laughs> this one's yours. Do you know the youngest person to be licensed for foster care in my county at the time? I do, Chris Lindsay. Oh my God, it's almost 35 years, right? Jen Dunn, I need you to tell me what are the best three words that came from 83 days of foster care crisis placement with Chris Lindsay? Go to sleep. <laughs> um, Chris, this last one is for you and I'm not going to cry about it. Who opened their door as wide as their heart and changed everything for a curly girl, a mom and a dad in Plantaville? We did. Yeah. I want to let you introduce yourself because I'm sure you'd rather talk about your kids, but I just need you to know that we all know how special you are and I'm just so happy to have you here. Well, thank you. Okay. Tell us about those babies of yours and how, why you're so amazing. Start at the beginning, girl. Well, if I start at the beginning, a lot of people don't know this, but I have basically been a caregiver since I was 16. I started in an intermediate care facility for 32 children and young adults that were total care. It was like a nursing home for children. And from that, when I was 21, I moved out of my mom's house and I started to do respite care. I was licensed as a foster care provider through Washington County and I did respite care every other weekend. And from the facility that I worked at back in the day, because I'm 55, so if you think about back in the day, in like 84, a lot of those parents with the young adults, they were encouraged to place their kids into institutions. And as lovely as a place as it was, we all cared for those kids very much and everybody had a favorite, but I always wish they had their families and their homes. So I thought if I started to do respite, maybe I could start giving families a break and maybe that would give them the opportunity to keep their kids at home instead of placing them into facilities like the one that I worked at. And then slowly that grew. I was there for 10 years and then I worked for another company and opened up a group home that was only like three miles from my house. I had moved to Cottage Grove and I was the house coordinator. So I ran everything at the house. 
but I worked my way up and out of what I truly like to do. And that was the hands-on. And I had been taking Josh for two and a half, almost three years. He was my son that I consistently took for respite before he moved in full-time with me back in 94. And when I was at the group home in 95, so like a year later, his needs got great enough that I had to choose between one or the other. And it wasn't a hard decision. I decided to stay home full time. And then I finished out that position. And a couple of weeks after leaving that job, I got a call for TJ and they were looking for a stay at home mom. So I just felt like it was meant to be. He was four and a half months old before he could actually come home from the hospital. So that month and a half that I knew about him, I spent a lot of time going to the hospital to learn how to care for him because he was a preemie born at 25 weeks Mm. and he was just under two pounds. And to get him off the vent, they had to trach him. So when I brought him home, he was very high medical needs. He was Mm. on oxygen and had a feeding tube in his stomach and a lot of needs. I can hardly wait to have you share where TJ's at right now, but I want you to continue on through how your family was built. Okay. After bringing TJ home, I started to do respite for Andy. Mm -hmm. And a year later, Andy joined our family. Then in December of 98, Unfortunately, Josh had passed away. And that April, I got a call for an emergency um, respite stay for a week. Um, And that's Nick's, at that time, adopted family who had adopted him, had to make a flight out east for a funeral. And he wasn't one to travel with. And so he stayed with for a week. And then after he stayed the week, I told them if they were interested in more respite, I'd be willing to help out. Well, it was interesting because two months went by and I never heard from them. And I ran across his case manager because I was friends with her. And I said, oh, I'm surprised I haven't heard from them about doing any more respite. And she said, well, I'll give them a call because I know they really had a need. Well, when she called her, she said, oh, I thought she was just being nice. Nobody's ever taken Nick twice. Yeah. And so... I started doing respite for Nick and six months later, he joined our family because they just couldn't, they couldn't meet, take care of his needs. They they were just too great. That's another um, topic for uh, another question in a bit, but let's continue further. Okay. And then next would be, I met. Pause life. This is my favorite interview next to Temple Grandin. Keep going. (laughs) Um, I just love sharing your story, Chris Lindsay. Woo, keep going. Thank you. And then I met Dave. And after we dated a little bit, we were going to take our relationship to the next level. Pause life and again. She, she's a special needs single mom that whole time. And also then she's dating. <laughs> Hashtag hero. And you had, yes. you had four children? Three. And then Josh had passed away and then Nick came on board. So I always still had three. But yes, I was a single mom for seven years. And then I met my husband and he came with two teenage boys that were 14 and 16. And I had my three boys. So we had to- Five boys. boys. Testosterone (laughs) ocean versus Chris Lindsay. Guess who won? Continue. Okay, so now we're five. Now we're five boys in the hood. Yes. And then after we were married, we took on Jesse for respite and we had Jesse for respite for a year. And then he joined our family full time. So how um, old are all the children at this point? Oh, this is they, wicked hard. 
Yeah. You might need a calculator. I mean, you can estimate. We're Sometimes not going to fact check. We're not going to fact check. When we got married, when I said dinner, she's like, I don't even know who's here. What's my fa- what? Why'd you send this many pizzas? I'm like, well, how many people are there? She's like, I have no idea. Hang on. <laughs> in 2003 when Dave and I got married Tyler and Ryan were 14 and 16 and my boys were 7, 8, and 11 and then Jesse was 6 when he came for respite and 7 when he joined our family then we went a long time and in January of 2013 Jesse passed away And in April of 2013, so four months later, we got a call saying there was a baby born last night and we're looking for a forever home. We're 95% sure that it's going to go to adoption. And they didn't know that it was a Hellcat yet. Yeah. (laughs) And at that time, TJ was our youngest and he was 17. And we said, I said, it's Friday at 430. Can I at least talk to my husband? he's not home from work yet and get back to you. And she said, yes, we'll need an answer by Monday morning. I'll call you back. And so over the weekend, we went out, we had no baby stuff and went out and bought stuff for a newborn baby. And they did the court proceeding on Monday. And on Tuesday, we went to the hospital and brought home Landon. My God, I'm so emotional. (laughs) He was five days old. I am blown away by this. It's not and even then, over. I know. I know. We're only at kid number what? Six or We're seven. still in the damn There's introduction. Yeah. And, yeah. Then, um, and then two, almost two years later, we got a call and they said, we have four-year-old little boy and his 10-day-old sister. They shared the same bio mom, different bio dads. And we're looking for some foster care. And so we said yes. And we took on... Bell and Dexter, and thinking that they were only going to be with us for a short time, three months led to six months, which led to nine months, and then they terminated parental rights. We petitioned for adoption, and then our adoption was final six months later. After 10 boys, there was my baby girl. (laughs) You need a made-for-TV movie, where at the end, when you do the family photo with the judge, there's like 49 kids behind Chris and Dave. Yeah, that would be a beautiful movie. Yeah. We're not done because the joke that Dave and I keep making in the entryway every weekend when Chris's door is open to my daughter, has she disconnected the GD landline yet? No, she is not. Mm. She took in after Belle and Landon. It, it should be added that saying like I did respite care is one thing. And like it sounded like the beginning of a lot of fostering or like the beginning of the whatever. This is not the case. This is a constant commitment to families to the county to the people she includes as we all know someone that comes into her heart and her home as family forever and there's some rules so that's a follow-up question for later we can share the rules to go into chris's house anymore but after 83 days of committing to my daughter and my husband and i she was re-licensed to make this 35 year mark 34 yeah I know, but she's going for 35 because she's a goddamn remarkable saint. And then Mm -hmm. she got another call and she said, yes. So now all of a sudden you think that there's like aging kids and like, holy Christmas, she's done this wave twice. She has received late last year on potty trained children. I mean, I'm just saying that is the next level. 
now we're done with that introduction. Yeah, and I couldn't, I couldn't say no. When you get the call, you know, I wasn't supposed to get the call, but I got the call. And so there was just something that told me that there was a reason I got the call. And the licensing worker told me that there was two other families that said, yes, they would take her, but not him and their twins. And mm -hmm. I'm like, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. And because of his needs, mm -hmm. there were people who just didn't know if they could do it. And I literally have chills because I have sat in so many courtrooms where there's no placement available for kids. There's no yeses on the other end of the, oh, makes me emotional. There's no yeses on the other end of the line because the kids have additional needs because there's medical complications. There's not someone saying yes. So that what you're doing I'm, and what you have done is remarkable. And there's thousands of kids waiting for that yes. So it is it's just mind blowing. It really is. Ugh. I feel like to know <laughs> Chris Lindy, You're amazing. I'm going. <laughs> to know, I'm just saying. To know you, Chris, is almost like hearing the call to action in your own heart to better your A game. It's like you really just knowing you has implored me to open my heart wider and bigger in in ways I didn't know was possible. And you're a soft place to land, and it it's just. You know, the, our listeners know of Chris Lindsay and this go to bed summer and the wizardry that you are and have given families, but like, you know, that I'm not the only drive person in your driveway and you've been doing that for families consistently along the way too, you know, I mean, it's just awesome. It's awesome. Your impact is just huge. It's no wonder that you were just one more time for the people in the back chosen as a foster parent of the year. Okay. Yes. And Rachel, you should tell a little bit about uh, your guys' connection because I don't think we talked about that yet. So um, at first, Chris and I met in the same place that the entire table for five met at Kate Swenson's Finding Cooper's Voice Hoops Troop Group. <laughs> <laughs> so many words. You're so many welcome, words. people. <laughs> yeah. um, we met there an adoptive mom group we in a zoom in a zoom yep mm -hmm. and I don't remember the real question but I do know that I'm a resource getter and a number taker and a connector <laughs> when I am a crisis mama so at some point I reached out to her to confirm that this was real and when you guys know her as Cassie the social worker of wonder at the time our listeners she connected us with the as our children's mental health caseworker she connected us with respite services through the county. And Chris began doing respite services. And for our listeners, you just heard about Nick's family who was utilizing Chris for respite for that one week while they went back East. And then they didn't call for quite some time. It is because the people that need such a break from having a Hellcat don't actually believe that Hellcat doesn't exist in the presence almighty of Chris Lindsay. I don't know what she is. I don't know what she does, but it's somewhere between <laughs> the strength you earn from 10 boys versus a Chris Lindsay or medical needs that are so significant or literally burying your child, not once, but multiple times. She's stronger than most. Mm. And so the parents don't believe that that could possibly be true. And I didn't either. I asked her if she was lying to me about the Sealy sleep much later into our friendship. And she's like, would I know if she was asleep? And what I say, are your ribs broken? Because we were in that place of trauma in my life. I was not allowed to fall asleep near her 
or be caught sleeping without it causing a kerfuffle that was deep, deep aggression. And at Chris's house, the kid would go to sleep. She'd wake up and march to breakfast like a little row of ducks along the way. I don't know. It was remarkable. <laughs> then we quickly escalated when um, things got hardy harder and our family was considering a group home. I had this heartbreaking coffee with Chris and she changed everything. And now it's your turn. Mm. One of the things though, too, with Celie is, and with all the kids is when somebody comes through our door, their family, it's just automatic. I have the same expectations of them as I do with my kids. I always explain it as in, I have a tough love. I love my kids more than anything, but I have high expectations of them. But I also don't have unrealistic expectations of them. I have expectations to their level. You know, I have one son, they'll say, it's not fair. But I say, it's not fair, but it's even. It's mm. always even. Mm. Like that. I do too. What's so great about that with you, Chris, is that I think a lot of times for us with children with high needs and different needs, sometimes we like give into that more and more just to feel like we're surviving. But I was reading an article one time about how, I can't remember what it was called or anything, but how like we're discrediting our kids when we don't hold them to a certain level. Like mm-hmm. we're not letting them meet their potential when we're just giving in or we're not giving them those demands and stuff because they can do that and we're not letting them get there. So I love, I love that about you. <laughs> Thanks. It's really cool. You know, Chris introduced the children in order by name and how they made their way to her home. But what we didn't really talk about is their needs. And to sum up a lot, I want to tell the folks listening, and Chris, you could fact check this or get deeper, but you have, there's there's autism running through many of the boys that you've adopted, that you've cared for and loved, and then, you know, obviously taken in. But you also have, meaning that you have seen a lot of that spectrum, girl. Um, But can you talk about the needs that are in you know, in addition to that and sort of maybe what some of your kids have as diagnoses, because I want to talk about tightening screws. I want to talk about this little fella. I want to talk about seizures. I want to talk about, you know, such big needs that lives were cut short. If I start with Josh, he had a Q minus 21 chromosome syndrome um, that affected fully developing his brain and then also his limbs. I mean, he was non-ambulatory. He also had a seizure disorder. TJ Like I said, he had a lot of medical stuff in the beginning from being a preemie. It's kind of common with preemies to have a little bit of a hemorrhaging in the brain when they're born and they grade it from like a one to four and he had a grade three to four. And just to give you a quick thing about the the hemorrhaging, your brain tissue can absorb only so much before it actually does some damage. Mm -hmm. And so he has developmental delays due to being a preemie and having that brain hemorrhage, but he also falls on the spectrum. Yeah. You know, because that's the result from that damage done. Andy had Apert's syndrome, which is a facial oh my, cranial. My friend TJ so quick. TJ oh. had a trach as well. Yes. And um, a gastrostomy too. Yep. Josh and had then, a gastrostomy too. And then sorry. so Andy had Apert's, which is facial cranial, and then also on the spectrum. Nick was back in the day when Nick was diagnosed with autism, it was called profound, severe, nonverbal autism. Um, He also is, first he was hard of hearing, but then he had what's called Mondini deformity, which 
eventually you become deaf from. Andy was also hard of hearing. Jesse had what was called Nori's disease. He was blind and then also had epilepsy and he was total care, non-ambulatory. So I had two of them that were in wheelchairs. Dexter is on the spectrum, ADHD, anxiety, um, some speech delays. Landon, um, the first thing we were told about Landon is we knew right away bringing him home from the hospital, he had hypochondroplasia. It's short-limbed dwarfism. So it's a type, mm. of, type of dwarfism. We also knew from day one that there was something there. We didn't couldn't put our finger on it, but we were told from the genetics because he had came from a parent with special needs. His percentage of having some developmental delays was like 30%. And then because she had some also family members with some developmental delays, all of a sudden his would jump up to like 60%. And so we didn't know what that would be down the road. We just knew that that was something that we would take it as it came type of a thing. He also has epilepsy. I was seeing seizures and that was diagnosed by one and a half. He was diagnosed with autism and ADHD right before his third birthday. And he didn't talk until he was four, but that going back to TJ, TJ also didn't talk until he was like four. TJ didn't walk until he was like two and a half because with him being a premium with everything going on, they also told us that, or told me, because I adopted him as a single parent, that they didn't know what the future would entail for him. They didn't know yeah. if he would walk. They didn't know if he would talk. We'll get to that. We'll get okay. to that. Okay. And then Belle was brought to us at 10 days old. She wasn't thriving. I didn't sleep the first two nights because I thought they brought me a baby that was going to die. And that's really hard. She started to thrive. She came, she had deformities of the skull because her sutures on the one side had actually already closed while she was in vitro. They found out that she had a rare genetic condition. So she had her first major cranial surgery at six months old because she was finally big enough to be able to have it where they had to reconstruct the front of her forehead and skull after they opened everything up and let it grow it all closed like it was supposed to by like two and then her head didn't grow as big as it was supposed to so then she had another uh, major cranial surgery that where they actually it's this is amazing that the body can do this they actually cut her skull in half yeah. And then they placed in these distractors and there was like four screws that came out and we had to turn them twice a day with a special screwdriver. Oh and over five weeks, the opening was probably only as wide as my finger, but then they take off the ends of the hardware and they just leave it. And your body just knows to regrow bone to fill in that space. So, and because we the chose- body, I just got to pause life to tell you that the body may be incredible to be able to grow bone, but so too is the mother that can turn the screwdriver. Okay, yeah. carry on. Well, we knew that we had to give her this opportunity to get to her fullest potential because without this surgery, her brain would have been stunted. And yeah. so by, by enlarging her skull, it gave her brain the opportunity to fully grow. And also, um, I don't know if you've heard of PRE malformation, but it's where part of the brain starts to tucked down into the, the spinal column and it can actually cause for your fluid to not be able to go up and around your brain like it's supposed to. It goes down your spine and up and around and it does that constantly. And, um, and so she could have had complications from that. So when she had the surgery, they decompressed that area in the back of her neck 
at the same time. But because of that, her brain not only grew, but it came back up into her skull where it was supposed to be. And, um, and she has slowly caught up to her peers and she's so close to being a second grader. She still has an IEP and she still gets services, but, um, but I keep waiting for them to throw it at me that whether or not she'll need this IEP. And I've joked around before that I've done IEPs like all along that of all of a sudden she's neurotypical. What am I going to do? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I don't know how to do homework. <laughs> well, so, you're not but, only a adoptive parent and a respite worker, possibly a doctor and IEP coach all wrapped into one. Yeah. With all this she experience. is so many things. Yes. Yeah. All and my kids have had IEPs. Yes, that's incredible. Can you imagine the number of meetings and the paperwork? <laughs> I this cannot. bitch has done. I, I cannot. Oh I cannot. I, she's incredible. She can still write with her hand. I wouldn't be able to write with my hand after that many meetings and check boxes. Chris is a phenomenon. Now we're going to talk about TJ. Can we just talk about your dear, sweet TJ's most recent accomplishment? And then I want to talk about where he lives. Well, I would say most, well, can I back it up a little bit? Um, Girl, do. Yeah. TJ has always had this desire to want to drive. And he has had a fascination of cars mm-hmm. all the way back to when he was little. I mean, he wouldn't learn his colors and wouldn't learn his colors. And all of a sudden we're driving down the road and he's telling me about some car that's like a friend of mine's, but it's a different color. Well, then it clicked with me. Oh, we're going to learn colors every time we're out on the road. And sure enough, that's how he learned his colors, by colors of cars. But down the road, he wanted to take driver's ed. And we were, we're all for, you know, yes, we'll do it. We'll see how it goes. And, and we'll go from there. Well, he took driver's ed and he did well with that. And then he needed to go for a permit test. And he doesn't do well with what he's read. And then having questions asked, but sometimes those questions are reworded and I call them trick questions, but I know they said they're not trick questions. They're just reworded, but it took him 20 times to pass his permit test. 20 Mm -hmm. times people. So we just kept, there are times where he took breaks in between, but he had, was passionate about wanting to do this. And he did finally pass that permit test. We also took him to Courage Center. And we had him go through an evaluation. And what they do there is they evaluate your your reflexes, how you process things. And then they even take you for a little driving test. And then they determine whether or not you're a candidate for to be a driver. And they had said, if we went through these things that they had recommendations for to practice, that they felt that he was a candidate to be a driver. And we practiced those things. We made him appointment and he passed his driving test on the first try. He's more of a visual person and not a book, you know, as, as you know, on the spectrum. When I picked up Seeley today, what did you say to me that you had gone to do? And then you had to turn back because it was a freaking blizzard. We were going to go to look at buying a car, another car, a new car, a new car, because he has a incredible job and he, okay. So let's go there. TJ's 27. And back in high school, he did some like on the job training type things through like Goodwill and some nursing home things where he works some. And then he did the 19 to 21 transition program. 
and he went part of a crew that went over to Perkins and they bust tables during the lunch hour. And then from there, he did such a good job that when they had an opening, he applied for a job and he got the job and he bust tables for Perkins all the way up until like, let's see, he probably was there maybe five years. Um, and then two and a half years ago, he applied for a job at Costco because with Perkins, he was only getting like 11 hours a weekend and he got a job with Costco and he's a front end assistant. So he helps with either unloading carts, loading carts, getting carts from the parking lot, you know, things like that. And he loves it there. And I was so proud of him last June, he went up against a couple other coworkers for a full-time position there and he got it. Um, he had proven himself by being a hard worker and never calling in sick and all these things. And so he's been working full-time since last June. And so, yes, he's been saving his money and he's been driving an older vehicle and wanted to be able to upgrade to something much newer. And so he's proud of that. But I don't all amazing. to get mad at me, but whose name is on the front fender of that car our future daughters will probably listen to this but it says bell on the front fender of his treasured car oh <laughs> he carved it yeah. oh <laughs> but um back four five maybe even five years ago now we were on a vacation and tj all of a sudden kind of had a little outburst and he's never been like that, but he was like, I want to move out on my own. And I didn't even want to be on this vacation with you guys. And, <laughs> and we're like, Oh, where's this coming from? And so then I sat down with him. And I said, if you really want to move out, I had never thought about it. You know, I had just, not that you can't, you just need to express your wants. And he said, we've always said, if there's anything you want. So he expressed that he wanted to. And I said, okay, we will make a plan and we will make sure that that happens. It can't happen probably in the next six months, maybe not even in a year, but we will make that a, your long-term goal that you will move out. And so about six months later, he was doing basketball for the Special Olympics and one of his friends was on the team and I was chatting with his parents and I said, you know, TJ and Tristan get along so well. Have you ever thought about Tristan moving out? And she's like, oh yeah, we're going to be empty nesters and we'd like to see him be able to move. And so then we developed this plan with this other parents that our boys would eventually move. Well, then as we started to think about it, we you knew that there was going to need to be- very persuasive. <laughs> we knew there was going to need to be a third just because of the cost of rent and stuff um, because they were going to have to afford this on their own because this is where things are at with getting services and without them going into a group home because we didn't want them into a group home. We knew they could live out on their own. And so we found a third gentleman and so coming this May, then two years ago, they, the three of them moved into a townhome. They all signed the lease and they all have services through the same company because we figured if we had services through the same company, then we wouldn't have staff overlapping from different companies and we could utilize one staff for two of the guys. Mm -hmm. So if they're all three home, TJ gets, has more alone time than any of them. And so then the staff would be working with someone else. But TJ has staff two days a week, um, Mondays and Tuesdays. It's a set schedule. Mondays, they come in, they create grocery lists with him. He, he decides what he's going to make for the week. He picks two meals and then they create a grocery list and they take him grocery shopping. And then he makes one of the meals on Monday and one of the meals on Tuesday. And he makes enough that it fills like three or four containers so that he has meals to take to work. 
I mean, and, then, and then the other days he's home and eats out of our fridge. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not the most typical thing ever. I'm yeah. not, I mean, I, I still shop in my mother's garage. So. Yeah. Yeah. How far so, away is the town home from your house? 15 minutes. He's in the next town over where Rachel used to live. <laughs> so, how amazing is that? It is incredible. It's yeah. over. Okay, so yeah. TJ, check. Yes. You know, everybody, My miracle everybody baby. has a story. I, I know that you're not going to be able to talk about everybody, but the things I need to add to Landon's is that you guys, he has cakes like the goal board in your Pinterest for your little butt cheeks. This kid may be a little person. He's like on the spectrum, but that she didn't put the emphasis that she needed to on the A, the D, the H, and the D. This kid goes like my kid. And I am saying, you guys know, because you've seen it, is like ping pong ball, just like Seely Flanagan, all over the place. He runs, he climbs, he can scale a wall. He is just something incredible. He really is. He really yeah. is. And I always say, you, you know, I'm an autism parent when I'm proud of my plexiglass wall because <laughs> we had to remove the sheetrock because there were so many holes in it and replace the sheetrock, but then we put plexiglass over it so he couldn't do it all over again. Yeah. What did your husband's boys, when they were teenagers, what were, what did they think of coming into a house with so many kids with various needs? Was that like shock to them or how, how did that? Um, I think they handled it fairly well. I mean, everything was kind of new because the thing was before they came, they thought that they're going to be moving into a bachelor pad with dad. So that was a, a huge adjustment because yeah. that was a custody thing that he had been working on for like nine months prior to getting custody of them, got custody of them. And then they finished out the school year where they were at before moving to Minnesota. Where did you and your husband meet? How did this okay. dating happen? And I then, just need to know. I know there's I so many questions know. here. I just One of know. the things that I... If you're okay talking about your your marriage and your relationship, some people yeah. aren't, but yeah, I just can. am so fascinated by this. Like, me too. Me too. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm still searching over here. I would really like to know where you find the husband, Chris Lindsay. <laughs> yeah, please. We met online back in the day. AOL had chat rooms. Yes. And then we went off <laughs> there and started chatting. And uh -huh. he had just moved back to Minnesota and was looking for someone nearby just to kind of hang out with and stuff. From, from like Hawaii. I want to let you know, Chris is the one that you guys hear about a lot, but Dave also has this like incredible life. He has had like 13 waves of children with this lady who won't stop answering the phone from the county. He <laughs> said 13 wives. No. Nope. <laughs> Waves of children. <laughs> he, he keeps thinking he has an empty nest and then she's filling her back up. And now one of the things is, is, you know, when you're chatting with someone, you don't know them. It's kind of, I always talk about the fact that sometimes I was wondering if he was like a creeper or something, because all of a sudden we, we had too much in common. And then even yeah, to the it wasn't point as where, common, right? Back then yeah. it, wasn't, it was not like yeah. dating now, which like everybody apps, does. Back apps and Tinder and all that. It was common. AOL chat yeah. rooms. Exactly. She said so, to me once, I was and, like, my son passed and he's like, me too. I want to grow my family. Me too. And she's like, disconnect email, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, unfortunately that was one of the things that we shared in common, but we bonded over is that we both had lost a special needs son before meeting each other. Mm. And, and so um, Dave's oldest son was also born with special needs. 
and that he had passed away when he was two and a half. And so that was something, like I said, it, as odd as it seems, or it might seem sad. It was one of those things we understood what the other was going through with that mm -hmm. because it's a completely different type of grief. You go through losing a child. Yeah. So, and then from there, our relationship just grew. And then, like I said, we just had to see how he moved in and as a roommate in the basement, because I didn't want my kids to get attached if it wasn't going to work out. And <laughs> wanted to make sure he understood what 24 seven meant, you know, mm -hmm. because he had done it, but I had three boys and it was going to be a lot different. And so then he was bringing two boys in and we had to make sure that all meshed. And then we went from there. For the listeners at home, she does have a house as big as you think. And the island she redid recently in this like super incredible main level mom of many dreams come true kitchen. The island is like 39 feet long. That's exaggeration, but how long is it? 11 feet long, maybe. So what she's saying is 11. it looks like a bowling alley. Huh? Then at the end of it, oh, was your consultant? Feet. Good. Okay. I'm glad your consultant is there. 13 <laughs> feet. It's magically lit. There's a full-size refrigerator and freezer there. Like she's the freaking Fuddruckers and it's incredible. It's incredible. It's because she's feeding the people. Yeah. We took out a, a wall and expanded, took out our dining room and expanded our whole kitchen into the dining room area, just because this is our, that's our gathering area. And so it was just made sense that everything revolves around the kitchen family rooms. So it's now all open. With plexiglass. With plexiglass on one wall. Because um, my son plays hockey in the house. <laughs> can you tell our listeners a little bit about what happened when our daughters became best friends? Oh my gosh, that was just amazing. It was just so natural, wasn't it? I didn't really have the expectation or the knowledge that it could be um, so incredible for my kid to have a bell. Yeah, and, and for Belle to have Seely too, because I know this, I, I don't want to hit a soft spot for Rachel, but um, be because Seely is so different when she's with Belle and, and Belle, they're just like best of friends and they're so much alike um, when they're together and they just do everything together. And it's interesting because one's never always the leader and one's not always the follower. They kind of take turns depending on what activity they're doing and they understand each other. Or I should even say like Belle understands like Seely needs some breaks. And so it will be interesting where she'll come along and I'll go, oh, where's Seely? She's oh, she needs to take a break. And it's like, oh, that's fine. And then they'll kind of do their own things. And then they come back together and back at what they're doing. Chris and, and I lovingly say that there is a Seely Flanagan and a Seely Lindsay. And Chris and I share a friend group that recently came closer at an event and kind of over the weekend of this event. And so we have to very clearly talk about which Seely we're discussing because there is one that lives on that side of Cottage Grove and there's one that lives on this side of Cottage Grove. So, so I have a question about that, Chris, and I hope it's okay, Rach. Yeah. Cut it if you don't want me to ask it, but I mean, clearly she's two different kids. I mean, she's different at Rachel's, which I think is a parent thing. Kids always act different for their moms than they typically do. But how do you see merge? Like, I mean, how, how, do, how do you see trying to maybe merge that into sort of a Seely-ish sort of, do you know what I mean? Like she's so drastically different at your house than she is with Rach. Like she literally won't sleep with Rachel. So would you have any suggestions on, and I'm just using you as an example, like how you would sort of merge that into the same child. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, I, 
I think how it originally started is I got so much information from Rachel about Sealy that for it to be successful, I really felt like we had to keep our boundaries tight on her, you know, and this is the way it is. And I'm not going to give you an inch because you're going to take a mile. My kids too. If I give them an inch, they'll take a mile. And so we just really let her know that this was how it is at our house. And she saw it wasn't just her. It's the way I am with all the kids. My husband's that way. And things don't change from day to day. Consistency is key. If I give today, why wouldn't I give tomorrow and the next day? And once you let out that reel, it's hard to reel them back in. So it was one of those things that I think right from the start that she knew that there were going to be these high expectations of her just to fall in line with the other kids. Did I answer that? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. And I'm sure that happens with any kiddos that have rest or like come in for respite, you know, where it's mm -hmm. like to, and I think, I think about this with like co-parenting or parents who are separated, like the consistency is you're incapable of consistency because there's two sets of rules. There's two sets of houses. There's two, you can't, there's dynamics with each person like me and um, Nick my kids kind of have a tendency to let more of their emotions fly and more of they feel safe to be free with those. And there's just a different vibe and energy when you're trying to like bounce from one house to the next. And the person that's standing in front kind of giving those directions because of who we are as human beings, you know, I can imagine when you're doing respite that it's hard to like for the kiddos to transition in and out of that space, maybe from, you know, your expectations and the way your house functions and then, you know, mom and dad's house functioning in a certain right. way. But like I said, I think with, like with all kids, I mean, Kaya's different with me than she is with my mom. She's Absolutely. different with me than she is with yes. my sister-in-law. Um, I had a little version of Chris, but her name was Marley and Marley could get Kaya to do things that I couldn't even imagine. And she was Kaya's caregiver. So when Kaya was in her care, I was like, well, same thing. I'm like, what, what do you mean she went to bed? She's like, she went to bed at nine o'clock. It was that it was Marley was so structured in her day and night. And there was, there was no veering of it. And a quick example. And Chris, I think this might make sense to you is Kaya didn't eat food at the time. And all of the kids in her, her care sat at the table. And even though Kaya didn't eat, Kaya was still expected to be at the table with everyone and eat her pouches and whatever she did eat. But she had that clear expectation that doesn't matter. Everyone does the same thing. Does, does that make sense? Yes, it does. There was that, that expectation of kind of set in her home of how it was going to be. Yeah. And other people might not agree with this, but even that's something here. We serve a meal. We do not serve multiple meals. We serve one and you don't have to eat it, but you have to try it. And from that, I've been very fortunate. I don't have any picky eaters, even my boys on the spectrum, and which is really unusual because a lot of kids usually are. Mm -hmm. um, and even Seely has opened her, what would yeah. you call that? Her palette, <laughs> her palette. Her palette. Yeah, yeah, her palette. Her palette to trying more things. And if she doesn't like something, she'll even know why. We recently had something over the weekend and I said, I know you like this. And then she pointed out the fact that it had some cooked onions in it. And it was the onion that she didn't like, not the meal, but the onion. And mm -hmm. if I was willing to remove all the onion, she was willing to eat it. And so huh. when kids come into your house, like how do you set those expectations even just for a weekend respite care like what's what's the program look like <laughs> um 
I don't know because I don't really have a program. It's just kind of our way of doing things. And I think just when kids come in and just, just even thinking about the two foster kids that have been with us since September, you know, they come in and just come to the table. Everybody sits together. It's mealtime. And this is what we're having for dinner. Now, if, if I know somebody doesn't like something, of course, we're not going to make them eat it because if you've tried it and you just, or tried it more than once and you know that somebody doesn't like something, of course, we would give them something else. I don't want to make it sound like we force anybody to eat or anything, but, but otherwise I think it's just that, that standard of everybody comes to the table. This is the meal time. This is what we're having. You know, it's just yeah. kind of that expectation. I was just going to say, I, I meant program as in like your house rules, <laughs> not so much yeah. as like <laughs> the formula. <laughs> that was and if you have that in a pamphlet form, we're going to take that as well, please. <laughs> we can offer it to our listeners. <laughs> but I should maybe make one. I would find probably like it's easier at first because it's like they're not as comfortable so yeah you know when somebody comes in and they don't know you that well they're probably more like going to be like okay this is what's happening and that's when they get comfortable that's when you you know like yeah you have to take advantage of that honeymoon period yeah exactly (laughs) you're like nope I know you're capable because you were just doing it (laughs) my daughter used to be that way at school like school would be like oh, well, she lets us do this. And I'm like, well, she doesn't let me do it. There's not four of me in one room to, <laughs> there's one of me and I'm outnumbered by children. <laughs> four so, kids to one. Know. Yeah. Well, like she wouldn't even, she would like, she wouldn't let us brush our hair. If you went near her with the brush, she would go crazy. And it was like one of those things that's like, okay, she's up dressed and going to school or am I going to fight with her about her hair and then she's going to miss the van and all this stuff. And then she'd come home with like a braid. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. One of the things that, you know, you said, Chris, at the beginning of talking about our relationship with C is that you knew so much about her. And while I agree that that is true, what you didn't really know is who Celie Flanagan was. Like you knew the diagnosis, you knew my immediate concerns, you knew like, do not let her hit your kids. If she hits your kids, you will call me. Is this our agreement? Yes. You know, like we, I was, I had some immediate concerns, but Mm. you didn't know the first time you fed her dinner that at my house, she was eating on teal bowls or they were flying and she was eating with a blue fork or I was getting stabbed by them. And if it wasn't the right cup for her mood, that it was going to be chucked across the whole bill. We weren't at the level that we are now of transparency. And it wasn't ever because I was withholding. And you never told me every detail because you were like, it's not that you were withholding. It's just that I had to learn that I'm going to drop my kid off. I can't possibly tell you all the details that make my kid tick through the day so use the toothpaste good effing luck I don't care if she gets dressed or doesn't with you that's your rules if she's butt naked so is Landon who cares like I'm gonna let you do that for you but I couldn't give the rules I also had to put my car in reverse and give everything to you or I would not have been able to get any respite on those days and these women know that at first I had to talk to them through all of the hours to get through anybody else caring for my kid. And the door was closed with the sound machine on so that I wouldn't hear the noises of the neighborhood and think my kid's eloped. It's gotten to a place that I can drop Celie off and not get a migraine. 
Yeah, I can only imagine how hard that it was. So like, you know, I didn't, you didn't know every detail. And I think part of that was what made us successful. I know in taking Landon, which we do in a sister mom trade, that his idiosyncrasies at home don't come to my house. Now, he will shove a backpack, just like he steals a musical instrument at music class with us, just like he deals with that at your house. But it's something that we've learned is a common link. Not that I, you know, like that we've overshared. It's just what comes of our relationship with each other's kids, you know? Yeah. Um, I do have to let you know that I'm going to let the rest of the ladies take good care of you for the rest of this episode. Celie Flanagan is up. So when you're done with this, if you want to buzz on over to this side of the hood, tell her I'll be over to tuck her in. She won't. <laughs> I'll call you. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask uh, Chris is if people are interested in being a foster parent or going the route of trying respite to see if, you know, possibly in an adoption process, what would you recommend for them to, who should they reach out to or what's the first steps and if they feel this in their heart, you know, cause I do think that there's like an over need for people who are willing, especially if they understand neurodiversity or medical complexities or anything like that, what would you suggest? Where should they go? There definitely is a high need at anywhere and everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so the first place to call is there's always through your County, there's an intake number and through that intake number, they'll be like, press one for this, press two for this. And there'll be, if you're looking to do foster care or want to inquire about foster care, that they can contact their county. I highly recommend doing foster care through the county just because, you know, that's how I've built my family. Another thing that a lot of people don't know is parental rights are terminated. You don't do foster care to adopt, but there is that option. And if you've been doing foster care for somebody, you all automatically have become a next to kin. Mm -hmm. And so then you are considered, even in the position we're in, we're not looking to um, expand our family because our needs are great enough. We are able to meet the needs of the four-year-old twins at this time, but not long-term. And so we've already, at this point, since it's six months, we've been asked if it were to go to uh, termination of parental rights, would we like to be considered? So people should know that if, if they're looking to adopt. The other thing that is amazing to me, if this can be shared through here, is the fact that it, going through private adoption, I am amazed at the cost of private oh, yeah. adoption. It's very um, expensive. When kids are, when rights are terminated, kids become like ward of the state, even if it's that short time while they're in foster care before adoption is final. And the county, at least here in Minnesota, our county provided us with an attorney. So mm -hmm. it's paid for. And we apply for, because our kids have special needs, we apply for what's called adoption assistance. And if your child qualifies for adoption assistance, they get MA, which are, is our medical assistance, our Medicare, all the way to age 18. And um, that's significant because I hear about parents trying to be able to afford the parental fee to pay for that. And I couldn't imagine um, if we would have had to pay for even the co-payments. We have a primary insurance and then MA for secondary for all of our kids. And I just think about the surgeries we've gone through and the different therapies we've gone through and our son going through ABA. And, and if we would have had to pay out of pocket, that would have bankrupted us. And so the fact that we were able to adopt and only pay for court fees at no more than $500 is just 
amazing. And there's so many kids out there, but also that everybody is aware of if there's a child in foster care, they also have needs of some sort or another, whether it's trauma or disabilities. And so you you have to be open to that. But then again, going through a private adoption, you never know know. if you bring home a newborn baby, you don't know what the future holds. Exactly. And I think to, I mean, the landscape of, especially if you're going through the child welfare system, the landscape of a, of a removal and a placement or possible several placements before they find their forever placement, that in itself creates trauma outside of whatever the cause of the removal was, um, you know, substance abuse or mental health or whatever the case may be. Oftentimes kids with additional needs are generally older if they aren't able to find a forever placement for them. Like in Arizona, they do the same thing, provide an attorney. Most of the time, if you're adopting out of a termination that stemmed from a child welfare system, then they do provide you with an attorney. And in Arizona, you get an adoption subsidy as well for long-term care, basically to help with the long-term care situation. So for anyone considering it, you can just start by going through the classes and getting a feel for what they can teach you in the classes and more information that way. But I think everyone should think about it because there's so many kids out if your heart is calling in that way, you know, to to provide a place for kiddos. There's just so many kiddos out there who would love someone to take them home and snuggle them up and provide expectations <laughs> in consistency and consistency you know I mean I you know I sort of talked about it with my mom real real briefly like um, there's all these kids in foster care and there's you know these kids so many kids need homes and you know my first thought was how would Kaya do with somebody coming and going like what if it was a hard sort of period you know what I mean like I don't know and then I think about bringing other people into the home. Like you don't know their history. You don't know what, I hate to use the word baggage because they're children. So please know when I say that trauma, better word, what comes with them. So I don't know if I would be an ideal situation, Chris, but I have a friend, Alana, who um, like you has opened her home for 30 years and had children of various needs in her home. And um, although she never adopted any, and I'm not sure how it works in Canada, versus the U.S. But some of the kids are 18 and 19 and they still live with her now. They kind of rent a room from her. She's mom. And I've watched that and I've watched these kids kind of come in and go. And it was the same thing like you. She's very structured. Dinner is dinner. It's at a certain time. If you're not, your butts aren't on the table at six o'clock. Well, dinner's done at 630 kind of thing. And she said she had to do that because these kids literally had no structure. They, they didn't have a family that made them meals and that kind of stuff. So I always found it really interesting uh, watching her side of it and how that sort of played out with her own children and then how these children literally became her family. They were her children. And there's it's always a to watch. There's not a lot of people mm-hmm. out there, as you know, that do that. So for people yeah. that open their homes to that, Chris, you are a gem. Incredible, incredible, incredible. And I think even if you aren't considering a long-term like adoption, there's always a need for emergency placement Mm -hmm. for immediate care. If your heart is open, because that can be also very taxing on someone caring, especially, you know, when you have a child in your home for a longer, any time, I think, but a longer extended period of time. And then, you know, that they're going to be leaving eventually, but they always need emergency placements. And if you're not in the place to do an adoption or like a, a long-term placement. 
Well, I also I feel like I would get attached. Like, mm-hmm. Jen, you have to give the child back. I don't want to. <laughs> you know, it's that. Yeah. And with a foster care license, initially when I got my foster care license, I was doing respite. And so it's mm-hmm. the same license. It's just doing respite care versus foster care. And it just happened to be that, you know, it led to foster care. But I, over the years, I've continued to do respite care. Right now, I have two kids that come two to three weekends a month to give their families a break mm-hmm. and have done this, you know, all along, but that's what led to some of my kids coming to stay because they did respite and then they did so well and they were, their needs were too great for their families. And so then they were placed voluntarily. So I had four of our kids placed voluntarily through foster care, respite care, and then foster care. And then four of our kids have come through child protection services. Mm-hmm. You're a gem of a human being, Chris. It's just mind-blowing. It really is. I mean, well, yeah, really. to remember, I've been doing, you know, basically kind of doing this since I was 16. So it's really all I know. And, you know, it's like people even ask like, oh, did you, you know, ever have kids of your own? It's like, I didn't need to. I never even tried. And they just <laughs> yeah. kept coming. And I kept, well, you know, up. we've been on this side of the table with our friend, Rachel, and we've you know, watched most in all of, of that. And then to see you enter the picture and the relief for her, we were like, who is this woman? (laughs) Who is this woman? You know? So thank you. Yeah. Thank you guys. Yes. Uh, Tell us where people can find you because you have a new page. Yes. Let's Um, throw that out there. (laughs) Yeah. Fostering love and hope the Lindsay way on Facebook. Perfect. Perfect. Go check it out. I feel like we could talk to you for like six hours. (laughs) Chris, there's so much more. We barely dropped a pin in this uh, lifetime of glory that you are. Yeah, to scratch the surface now. We really did. We really did. I'm fascinated by everything. Thank you for being here with us and for also uh, helping our dear friend with respite and taking Sealy Flanagan into your family and the whole Flanaville. Thank Thank you you for for being. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, we're back. <laughs> As we're wrapping up there. We don't have to be back, but I do want to tell you that I, I got upstairs and refilled my coffee on the way by it is because I told my kid that when mommy podcasts with the table for five, it happens on Mondays. I said, what day is it? She goes, it's Monday. And I go, what do you think mommy's doing? Why is my face like this? She's like, you're making a podcast. And I go, what guest do you think she you have on? She goes, temple i go no she's stronger she goes who and i go chris Lindsay's on the podcast right now she goes <laughs> i go she said she's gonna come over here if you don't get enough sleep for school tomorrow and she goes like this and she pulls her sleep mask down <laughs> people if you haven't caught that by the end of this episode you should know chris Lindsay really is like meeting the oz the wizard of oz the wizard. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Sorry to miss the middle. Love you. Bye. <laughs> bye, everyone. Bye. Thank bye. you. Thank you again. Thank you for joining us at the table for this episode. Check out the description to find where you can sign up for our newsletter, how to become a supporter, and find links to us individually. Join us next Monday for more. And while you wait, check out our content on Facebook and Instagram. If you are enjoying the podcast, please make sure to subscribe and rate and review us wherever you listen. To contact us, you can email us at tableforfivepodcasts at gmail.com. We can't wait to sit with you again.